Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the changing of the seasons. Um, Father, we pray that you would be with our brothers and sisters all around the world. Um, I ask that you would increase yourself with them, that you would protect them, Father. I pray today that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, and feet that want to run with obedience. Father, I pray that um, this message just wouldn't be preached to us, but you would do something in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are continuing in the book of Galatians. We are now in chapter 2, and um, Laura asked me something about um, chapter 2 on Tuesday, we were referencing, and I said, well, I think I can get through the whole chapter of Galatians chapter 2 this week, but that's not going to be the case. So we'll get about halfway through. Nevertheless, let's get into it. What we have to re remember, though, is in the first chapter of Galatians, we saw Paul aggressively defending against false teachers that were trying to add to the gospel of Jesus. You guys should remember that, that we talked about it for three weeks. So essentially, what we continue to learn through Paul's argument was this, is God is not happy with us based upon how we perform. I'm going to say that again, because it's kind of unique, isn't it? God is not happy with us based upon how we perform. Now, the uniqueness about that is, is that seems dangerous. As a pastor, which I still laugh at too, as a pastor, it's dangerous. It feels dangerous for me to say God is not happy with us based upon how we perform. Not only does it seem dangerous, but it can seem freeing. On the other hand, it's freeing, right? God, I don't have to follow these set of rules, so, so God is not pleased with me based upon how good I try to become. So it could be, be freeing, but it can also be frustrating. See, it can be frustrating because sometimes the easiest way to feel like you are doing good in life is when you can achieve something or check something off. So if God gave us a list of rules that we had to follow, then we could force our body into submission in our minds, right? We think that we could say, well, I'm going to follow this, I'm going to follow this, I'm going to follow this, and I can do it. So I guess for me, the first chapter was freeing, but it was also dangerous and frustrating. The question then comes up, is there anything that we can do that makes God happy? In my life, in your life, can I make God happy with the things that I do? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please God Sorry, we are not trying to please people, but God. So test our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we, in, 
trusted you, sorry, I don't know why I'm so bad this morning. We instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So there's some ways that we can actually please God. And over the next two weeks, this sermon had to be broken into two weeks. So the complete message will be next week. But if God isn't pleased with my works, how can I please him? I think there are three different ideas that Galatians 2 will present to us to help us understand. So in verses 1 through 10, there's this idea of um, legalism. Now, we've all probably been legalistic, but I want to read those verses. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians 2, verse 1. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running. I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that in the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of teaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just, ha just as Peter had been to the circumcised. But God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the, Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that when they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing. I had been eager to do all along. We made it. What I first want to look at is verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So what we have going on here is largely what Paul is a saying is, or having is there's a debate going on right now between Paul and some false believers over what? Over Titus, a Gentile who needed to be circumcised. See, during this time, Judaizers were saying that the only way you could be saved is if you were circumcised. 
So that's the, the debate that Paul is having. Why does Titus have to be circumcised to be saved? Well, the Judaizers are saying, well, he has to, the only way that he can be saved is if he's circumcised because that's within the rules. And Paul's saying, no, it's by grace we are saved. So there's this argument or debate, strong debate going on. Therefore, if Titus was compelled to be circumcised because of the Jewish uh, law, it would have made a case that Paul's teaching was not from God. So that's why Paul is coming with this argument, is people are saying Titus needs to be circumcised, and because Titus had some authority within that world, if he would have felt compelled to get circumcised, then that only would have affirmed works. So Paul is boldly addressing the idea, hey, Titus, you don't need to be circumcised, and Titus shouldn't be circumcised because we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Make sense? So we see the past three weeks still at play right now. So, um, but Titus didn't feel this way, and others like Peter, James, and John all affirmed Paul as an apostle and the teachings of grace that he was presenting. So Titus didn't get circumcised, so he's only affirming Paul. In chapter 1, we talked a lot about the idea of having a legalistic attitude when it comes to trying to earn God's favor. Now, anyone in here ever try to earn God's favor? Participating, raise your hands. I've tried to earn God's favor. I've probably even tried to earn God's favor this week. Nevertheless, now legalism could simply be defined as working in our own power to fit our own rules to try to earn God's approval or favor. That's where we become legalistic. So that's what I've done. Now the Judaizers were trying to do good things, but good things with wrong motives become religion or legalism. So what the Judaizers were saying is, look, we have these 600 plus rules. We have these 600 plus laws. We have to follow them perfectly to please God. We have to follow them perfectly to be welcomed in to the presence of God in heaven. So, um, yeah, see, they had the right actions, but they had the wrong belief. You and I can have right actions and wrong belief, too. How many times have you, um, I guess, gone to small group or Bible study in your heart, not be there? It was the right action, but your heart was wrong. How many of you guys are here today, and you don't really want to be here? You're just here today, right? Right action, wrong belief. I want to thank you for being here, though. See, what's happening here is we see right action and we see wrong belief. Now, none of the Old Testament laws within themselves were bad. God didn't disapprove of any of the laws, right? It was actually in the laws are in God's word. So it wasn't that. But when we think that if we follow the laws perfectly, that we will earn God's special favor, that becomes legalism. Those opposing Paul were teaching Jesus plus something more. They were teaching Jesus plus works, Jesus plus circumcision. 
So how does this apply to our world today? Are we not, I mean, we're not preaching circumcision. It'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Like, hey, we have our baptism, we have our baby dedication, and then July 3rd, we have our circumcision. Like, it'd be really bad. So we're not, we don't believe in those rules. We're not teaching rules. So how would it apply in this world today? See, as we are not preaching those things, but we likely all fall into the temptation in other areas that we try to earn God's favor. See, I've tried to earn God's favor by quiet time. You wake up and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get closer to God today, so I'm going to do the religious thing and go spend time quietly. And then I'm going to read the Bible reading plan religiously. And then I'm going to run from my sin. And then I'm going to fast. And then I'm going to regularly attend church. And then I'm going to serve someone. And then I'm going to give money. And then I'm never going to say no to anyone who needs my help. Anyone ever been caught in doing those things religiously? Participating. And what you recognize is the more that you do those things religiously, they're the right action, but it's as if the right action is leading your heart, fur your, your heart further away from God. You sometimes wonder, you know, when pastor's kids grow up and they say, I was at church five times a week. I had youth group. We served the homeless on Saturdays. But yet they rebel and they don't come back to Christ until their 50s. What was it about that? See, the, these kids, I'm not saying that it was wrong. I think parents need to train up their child that, um, the way that he or she may go. But the right action did, doesn't always lead to the right heart. And these people who were raised in the church five days a week, they went through the motions. The list could go on with emotions with the legalism. But the fact of the matter is, we can honor God with our lips, but our hearts still be far from Him. We can honor God with our actions, but our hearts still be far from Him. See, likewise, as I said, we can honor God with a list of actions, rules, sacrifices, works, etc., but our hearts can still be far from Him. All of these actions can be good, but if we think that we are helping our cause before a holy God, we are wrong. If we, are, if we think that we are helping our case before a holy God, we are wrong. You opening up a door for someone is not helping your case before a holy God. You attending small group every week and never missing one is not helping your case before a holy God. Right? You tithing is not helping your case before a holy God. Now you say, why are you telling me all of these things are bad? Do you want a church, Joey? Of course we want you to be here at church. Of course we want you to tithe. And as we continually work through the message, we're going to see that there's still accountability within grace. But none of us will make it to heaven because of our works. All of us 
in any of us that go to heaven will make it by God's grace and his grace alone. Amen? So we have to be cautious of this legalistic perspective that we may carry. We must get out of our mind that we can pay back God, earn our way to greater favor. We must avoid legalism at all cost. So the question might be going through some of our heads right now. Do I only do things in church land because of legalism? Are you here today because of legalism? Are you tithing or giving out of legalism? You know what I felt like was one of the most legalistic things that we did in church? This hasn't ran through a filter, so it's past the plate. And you get the plate passed to you, and then you see the usher looking at you, and you're like, okay, here you go. Your heart wasn't in that. You felt the peer pressure because you're in God's house, and you're like, I better put that money in there. Anyone ever put money in the basket because the usher was staring at you? Come on now, be honest. Legalism. What we believe here at the church is tithing is an act of worship, and tithing is an act of obedience. So we don't pass the plate anymore because we don't want legalism in this place. What we want is for worshipers to find ways to worship. Amen? It's between you and God. So are you only here today because of legalism? Do I only do things in church because of obligation? Because I feel like if I don't do them, that I won't be a Christian anymore? Do I only do things in church because it's what I've been told I have to do? Do I only do, do I only do, do I only do out of religion and legalism? Those are things that we have to seek out and open up um, the door to for God to infiltrate in our lives. But what I recognize is a lot of legalism has been preached to us, and a lot of legalism has uh, been learned by us. So what I wanted to do is just take a moment right now in the middle of the sermon and pray for those who feel like they're being a little legalistic right now. They recognize some legalism within their relationship uh, between them and God. And I would say this, I recognize some legalism between God and I right now. Is there anyone else in here just out of a step of obedience saying, yeah, I need some prayer. Is there anyone in here other than me who's a little legalistic right now when it comes to their relationship with Christ? Raise your hand and I'm gonna pray for you. All right. And the rest of you are too legalistic to raise your hand. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray that you would break us free and set us free from legalism. I pray that these words today would not pre be preached to us, but there would be a deep revelation in us of how grace has set us free. Father, I pray that you would set us free, that your blood would set us free right now from legalism.
reveal to us, uh, you know, the top five things that we've been believing, areas that we've been believing lies in. In Jesus' name, amen. So, now what's interesting is as Paul addressed a legalistic perspective, how, he, how he's been addressing that, right? What that doesn't mean is grace, right? Grace doesn't mean that we don't carry any responsibility. See, there's this idea that if we preach grace, then there's no responsibility or accountability, and I would say that that is explicitly wrong, and um, the Bible does not preach that. And we actually find that here in verse 10. We see accountability, and we actually see doing good, doing what's right as a believer. Verse 10 all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. See, Jewish believers in the city of Jerusalem were ill-treated and had very little to show for. So, mistreated um, people. And what, what's happening here is... Um, they're saying, hey, don't forget, Paul's saying, hey, don't forget about them. So God's grace covers you, but God's grace doesn't cover you so much that you don't get it. Like, it covers you for everything, right? You see how it can sometimes be just conflicting within your spirit. You can't earn your way to heaven, but there's still things for you to do. See, faith without works is dead. And a live faith is a moving faith, and a live faith is an active faith. Nevertheless, these Jewish believers were mistreated. Their families were rejected, and other Jews um, wouldn't do business with them. So they left Jewish believers in the city, depend which left the Jewish believers in the city dependent on support from the other churches. So being free from legalism doesn't mean that we only ask and think and serve ourselves. Being free doesn't mean we only serve ourselves. Being free gives us the ability, ability to walk fully filled with the Spirit, to love God, love others, and be the light of the world. Amen? Grace does not mean that you don't have responsibility. Nevertheless, let's move on. We're getting ready to see in the next part of the scripture in verse 11 moving forward is the name Cephas. Cephas here is Peter. Now, sometimes Paul addresses him as Peter. Other times he addresses him as Cephas in scripture. So why does he call him Cephas in this part? Um, there's probably a whole teaching on that. But some suggest that it was a rebuke, kind of like, parents calling you your full name, Joseph Brent Brown. And then I laughed. I'm in trouble. So maybe this is Cephas, and Paul is using Cephas instead of Peter here because it is a rebuke. Nevertheless, keep that in mind as we go over the next set of verses. Cephas is Peter. Verse 11. 
When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So the first one that we saw was legalism. Now the second piece that we see here is hypocrisy. See, Peter had the right belief system, but he didn't have the right actions that followed it up. And what Paul does is he strongly rebukes hypocrisy. That's what's going on here. Paul is rebuking hypocrisy. So just because there was grace doesn't mean that there's not accountability. Amen? See, after persecution broke out in Jerusalem, Peter realized that he could no longer stay there. So he made his way to Antioch to meet up with Paul. Now, the church in Antioch was a mixture of Jews and Gentile believers. Therefore, Peter immediately is learning how to fit into a mixed culture. What Paul, yeah, what, what Paul is getting at is Peter had initially had no problem doing life with the Gentile believers. So essentially what happens is Peter goes to Antioch and he's having a good time. He's, associ he's associating himself with Michigan fans, and it's okay. He's associating himself with Dallas Cowboy fans, and it's okay. <laughs> Preach, come on. So they're associating, he's associating with people who are just, even West Liberty people, how could I forget? <laughs> with people who are different than you. And West Liberty people are like, and we associate ourselves with Mechanicsburg people. So they're so much different. And, and what Paul's saying is, look, you were associating with Jews and Gentiles, but now something changed? See, um, yeah, Peter initially had no problem doing that. Why did he have no problem associating with both groups? Because he knew the message of grace. And grace broke the barriers between Jews and Gentiles. That's why Peter had no problem hanging out with each group. He knew grace. Now, it might not seem like a big deal to do life with this melting pot of people, but it really was a huge deal to divide the lines, to live on the other side. See, Jews and Gentiles didn't mix, and they also, the Jews had highly regulated diets. So when Peter raised a Jew, arrived, he didn't honor the Jewish diet because he understood grace. See, what he understood was 
by God's grace, I don't have to earn my way by eating these certain foods. I can live life freely, and I can eat whatever I want or need. Amen? So that's what he understood. So when he arrived, he wasn't hanging out, or he wasn't living under Jewish customs. This grace, this grace freed him from a lifelong rules that the Old Testament required Jews to live by. So he gets there, and he's living under grace, not law. But there was a day that James sent a certain group of men to go visit Peter in Antioch. And when this group arrived, Peter began to act differently. And he withdrew from hanging out with the Gentiles. Now, what we know of Peter, we should not be surprised by Peter's behavior because throughout Scripture, we see a man who often falls to peer pressure. But Peter understood grace. So why is it that sometimes we understand grace, but yet we go back to law? We go back to try, trying to earn God's favor and become legalistic. So we know Peter understood God's grace, and we know this based upon Acts chapter 10, if you guys remember when we went through this several years ago, stay with me um, as we read this. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Uh, Cornelius was his was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. 
As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to uh, associate with our with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That's important right there. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter understands God's grace. So when I was sent for... I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send it to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God. Sorry, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So a lot of scripture reading of Peter understanding God's grace. See, Peter now has this deep revelation that God doesn't only choose Jews. So fast forward now. Now he's in Antioch. What does Peter understand? That God's grace came for all. Amen? God's grace came for all, and Peter understands that. So why is it that Peter was associating with the Gentiles, but then the Jews come... The Jews come, and now he quits associating with the Gentiles, and he starts to live by a few more rules. See, essentially what's going on here is Peter is now leaving grace and now starting to go back to works. That's what we see going on. And Paul is highly frustrated about that. Peter, who has the revelation from God, from God about his love for all people, brings the gospel to Cornelius about God's grace. Now, what ends up happening is the other Jews began to follow Peter. See, they're not going to go towards grace. They're going to go towards works, including a key figure, Barnabas, who had helped plant a church in Antioch. See, the important phrase we need to see in Galatians 2 is verse 14, 
when I saw that they were not acting in line, in line with the truth of the gospel. Paul saw that Peter and Barnabas were not acting in line with what the true gospel was. Why? Because they started to go back to works. See, we know that Peter had the right belief system, but Peter's life was not reflecting the gospel in this moment. This is known as hypocrisy, and this is why Paul called him out. Peter understood the grace of God, but Peter now is going to works. Paul is frustrated that someone who knows the freedom of Christ has turned from grace and now associating with works. Paul here is demonstrating by this rebuke, by calling Peter out, that grace still has a standard. Amen? Grace has a standard. So when we preach grace, what that doesn't mean is we just live however we want. Now, how good or bad you are doesn't earn your way to heaven. Putting your faith in the death and the re resurrection of a perfect king, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is the only way. Amen? But grace has a standard. Peter still has a standard to live by, even though he's under grace. See, Paul was dealing with the inconsistency and misrepresentation of Jesus by Peter. So today, we likely aren't dealing with the exact same rules that Peter was dealing with, right? We're probably not dealing with the same things in the book of Galatians. But if someone claims to know Jesus, uh, sorry, but if someone claims to know Jesus who preached to the poor and the powerless, and yet they ignore the poor and the powerless, what is that? Hypocrisy. If we are following Christ and are sexually immoral, that is what? Hypocrisy. If we're always pointing the finger and cursing the darkness, but never being the light in the world, that is what? Hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is to be called out within the church. But it's not that you, by doing better, earned your way to heaven. See, even under grace, hypocrisy is to be addressed. But today's lesson is to help us understand this, how quickly we can fall to both legalism and hypocrisy. How easy is it that we mess up so then we try to do good? Or we know the right way to live and we just don't do it. Next week, the completion of the message will be here. But even under grace, hypocrisy and legalism is to be addressed. In one moment, we think that we are earning the favor of God, while the next we are walking in just like the rest of the world, which is hypocrisy. In one moment, we have K-Love on a radio. The next, we're gossiping in our work circle. 
One moment we have our Bible reading plan open, and then the next moment we're just sharing a little fib. The grace of God covers that, but that's also hypocrisy and is to be called out. And see, what Paul ended up saying is, look, not only um, are we supposed to not live in legalism, but there's still works to be done. And that's why he said, look out for the poor and the powerless. Amen? What we're supposed to do is avoid both of these problems, and only God can help us with each of these, hypocrisy and legalism, through the power of his word and Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, ask that your Holy Spirit, um, who's regenerated us, who's made us new creations, would increase within all of us today. That we would understand and walk in grace, but we would also walk in accountability, Father. That we wouldn't be people who walk in hypocrisy or, or legalism. But, Father, we would walk in um, just complete submission of you. That the peer pressure of being at work or in the world wouldn't persuade us of your grace and your love, but we would boldly represent you wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen.